Hi everyone and welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm Christopher Calloway. On today's show, I have Becky Cloonan. She is joining me to talk about her upcoming book, By Chance or Providence, and it is a collection of three one-shots, all now together in a softcover collection, and updated and remastered with additional material. In the 2015 Comic Book Resources poll, she was voted number three out of 50 female comic artists of all time. Her very first comics were mini-comics that she self-published, part of the Meat House Collective, before her first collaboration with Brian Wood, which put her on the map with Channel Zero, Jenny One. Becky's had work published by Tokyo Pop, Vertigo Comics, and she was the first female artist to work on Batman back in 2012. Hard to believe that since the creation of Batman back in the 30s that Becky Cloonan was the first female artist to work on the book. I mean, think about that, since 1939. Good for Becky and good for us readers. Now, before we get started talking about her current book coming out by Chance or by Providence and some other trades that she has coming out, well, this week, Game of Thrones came back to HBO with season seven. With fantasy and knights and medieval tales being in her wheelhouse, Becky and I start our conversation talking about Game of Thrones. As a creator, I wanted to get her impression of the series, what works about it, and find out who some of her favorite characters are. We also talk about horror films, since she's a fan of werewolves and vampires. So we get into some of that, little history of film and horror. So without further ado, let's get on with my conversation with Becky Cloonan, here now on Creator Talks. Becky, welcome to Creator Talks. Hey, thanks for having me. It is great to have you here. And uh, I love reading your work. Uh, Your stories are filled with romance and tragedy. The two seem inseparable. Hearts are joined (laughs) and broken. And uh, you seem to have a penchant for fantasy and medieval narratives. They're near and dear to your heart. So I would think that this week would be a big week for you with the return of Game of Thrones, season seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I feel like I've followed it to the end, the bitter end, and now we're just kind of, you know, for better or for worse, it's one of those shows that you kind of stick with, and now you're just kind of stuck watching because you have to. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, full disclosure, I just started watching it last week. Oh, you have a lot to catch up. On. I do, and the thing is, I've had so much television to watch, and the thing is, it gets to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm not really enjoying this show but I'm sticking with it and life's yeah. too short and there's too much to do besides reading comic books on top of that and seeing movies. So I was like, okay, I'm dropping this. I'm dropping this. And a friend of mine at work said, you've got to see game of Thrones. I think you'd really like it. I said, I believe you, man. I believe you. It's just, I can't fit it in. But I'm like, okay, I'm taking the plunge. So I said to my wife, I said, it's on Netflix. Let's just do it. Cause she's seen yeah. the first two seasons without me. She said, I, I said, do you mind watching them again? She goes, oh, no, 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 no. It's been so long now. I've forgotten them, and it's more fun watching with someone. I said, okay. So we started last week. We're on season four. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. And, you know, I was watching it from the beginning, episode by episode, as it, as it came out, because I had read the books before, so I was kind of stoked on it. And it's been years, right? And then last summer, um, my boyfriend was like, oh, I've never seen Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you have to watch it. Same thing. <laughs> and we, we watched it, and it was like, I wouldn't say we binged it, you know, but we would watch, you know, two or three episodes a night, and it was exhausting. 
Like I, I was just like, oh my goodness, there's, it's just like, it's almost overwhelming, you know, Yes. like to, to watch it in that different kind of like the binge watching versus like watching it episode by episode. It's a completely different feeling that I got from it. So now I'm just like, okay, just ready for it to be over. <laughs> I can't wait. That's exactly what I'm doing is I'm watching two a night and on weekends, three a night because they go by so fast. They do. Well, let's just do another one. But I can't binge. I don't. I want to enjoy something. And since I'm not writing a review for a quota season, I mean, I can't imagine how people do it who are like, oh, uh, Defenders is coming out. I want to watch this tonight all the way through and then write a review first thing in the morning. I'm like, oh, man, you don't have a family. You don't have a day job. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a different kind of like the way you process the information too is different. You know, it's the difference between studying something and, and then cramming for it the night before you're not going to remember it. You're not going to get like the, uh, all the nuance. And I think there's something about the anticipation too, because you go back and you think about everything that's happened the week before and you, you know, can go back and rewatch the episode if you want. Like you really have time to dwell on it. And then with binge watching, you don't have that like mar the marinating time in your head. And I think that's really important because, you know, there's a lot that happens between the episodes as well and I think your brain like and this is why I do anyway like I end up thinking about the characters between that you know and it, and it kind of makes them more real in your head absolutely yeah I mean I would think it's just like eating too fast you really can't enjoy and taste everything and fully yeah, appreciate you it chew. you gotta chew everything <laughs> yes, yes food for the brain absolutely yeah, let me explain to you how to how to eat <laughs> <laughs> it's mindful TV watching. You have to yeah. take in each piece and think about it. And I do. I like to – my perception is different. You know, when I think about it and I have t a chance to kind of analyze it in my head. But um, without any spoilers because I'm still working my way through it. And there was some, some big stuff last night that I was watching uh, getting through season three. Um, what, in your humble opinion, as a storyteller, makes something like – Game of Thrones so enduring and popular worldwide. What is the ingredient? What is the writer doing that and the producers that make it so gripping? Well, I think a lot of it when it comes to TV and the writing it has to be good, but I think a lot of it goes into casting. And I I do this is the weird thing about like having a, a story and then translating it to like, you know, TV or, or movies or whatever. So much of it is dependent on the characters. And in Game of Thrones, they were just cast so well. Everybody has so much charisma. And on top of that, they have amazing chemistry with each other. I, I feel like you could have cast that show differently and it just would have been a flop because, you know, you'd see some, a movie that's amazingly written, but then the characters don't bounce off each other. The actors just don't really fit the role. And I think some of it people just react to these, you know, because they're well-written novels, first of all, and then... To, to bring these characters out and to, you know, everything's so well realized too, like the sets and the costumes. And there was like a traveling, I think, exhibition where they had like a replica of the Iron Throne that was going around a few years ago. And they had all like the props and everything like that. And I got to see that. And then on top of that, I went to um, Belfast a few years ago. I got to tour the sets. And it's like, I just can't believe that they... You know, because you're, you're there and you're standing on top of the wall, you know, it's a real thing and you feel it, you know, just to be able to say it's not a green screen. I mean, obviously they do some tricks, but to, to be able to get up, you know, because it's pretty high up on the set. And then they have these giant backdrops that come down that have like, you know, 
it just it's it's just beautiful and to be able to feel that when you're there like the immensity of it you know i sat on like daenerys's throne when she's uh like on, on top of that weird pyramid thing with all the steps that come up you know and it's it, you really do feel like you know you're there and you're a queen and you're going to welcome some subjects and like that i think putting your actors in that environment physically rather than just having them act on a green screen you're going to get a different kind of performance out of them so i think it's from the ground up it's a really well done show and everything is there to kind of put you in that mindset and if the characters believe it the actors believe it then then i think as an audience you're more willing to believe i don't know how actors do it when they're just using the green screen and having to imagine a lot i mean of course they're actors they're professionals that's what they're paid yeah. for that's their craft but I, I agree with you that if they are actually in the environment it, it's probably easier to channel that energy and that mindset and i definitely feel it when i'm watching the show is there's not so much cgi it's especially when they're using background and landscape and buildings it's not that obvious versus trying to take something that's living and organic and make it look or, or use it cgi to represent it that's where it kind of takes me out a bit but they they don't do that and always when it's with scenery i think it works so well it actually complements the surrounding environment and physical objects in the room or outdoors that it, it really helps boost the show. Um, yeah. I mean, they have like blacksmiths there on site, just like making swords and stuff, you know, they've got, it's, it's incredible. And, and the fact that they made languages, to, oh, yeah. you know, they hired, they hired linguists to like come in and, you know, cause they had to make up Valerian and Dothraki and like all these different languages that people speak. And it's like, it's real. You know, they, they took everything from the book and just made it flesh. And I think there's so much there to, to dive into that just goes beyond, I would say, the simple task of writing something like this, but it's not simple. So but outside of that, I think this is what makes the show something that people respond to is because they've taken amazing source material, but then made it as real as possible. And it's just easy to fall into, you know. Do you have a favorite character that you just love or love to hate on the show? Um, I'm like, you know, you start out hating the Lannisters, especially Jamie, mm -hmm. but I think, I mean, Tyrion, I think is my favorite just in general, all Tyrion parts. Like I will just watch all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the other characters, their storylines they get, you know, they're up and down and they just frustrate me a little bit, but I think I like Jamie and Cersei's arc a lot. And it's nice, it's nice to see that it's nice to be able to take a character that you, hate in the beginning and then after a while you're just like man i really like them now <laughs> they just kind of grow on you have they grown on you so much that you've actually gone out cosplaying at all or trick-or-treating dressed as a, and i say trick-or-treating because i know we're all a little old for that but you know sometimes with the kids i go around dress up have you ever done that with the game of thrones characters or any character for that matter no not really there was a time i feel like i was like 19 years old mm -hmm. and I was going I went to a comic convention one of my friends was really big into dress she, she loved cosplay and we went as two characters from an anime called his and her circumstance and she dressed up as the guy and I dressed up as the girl and it was super cute but like it's not <laughs> but she made the costume and everything you know she was really like you know help me out it was kind of her like she's like, well, I need someone to go with me. And I was like, well, I'm your best friend. Of course we're going to go together. <laughs> and it was fun, but it's not, you know, that's not me really. I don't like, you know, then you, that was, it was a weird experience. I remember I was like 19 or 20 at the time. And it, it usually I'm going to comic conventions, even at the time. And I was like, you know, sitting behind a table and doing like fan art and stuff like that. And 
it was different walking around and having people stopping you to take pictures, but not because of anything that you've done really, just because you're dressed up as a character. And I was just like, I am so much more comfortable behind a table. <laughs> <laughs> just, this is not. <laughs> and then yeah, you get annoyed because you're like, well, I'm trying to get from point A to point B and I can't get there because people are stopping to take my picture and I'm just annoyed. And then you, you're just like, okay, two hours in this thing and I'm ready to just take it. I'm just ready to go back and change, like get back into my civvies. Yeah, and, like... <laughs> you want to be comfortable, especially at a con. Yeah, it's just, you know, everyone's got their place and that's not mine. <laughs> well, let's talk about your place with uh, By Chance or Providence. Um, those books, they were initially written as a one-shot, single issues, between your other comics work. And there's three stories in this collection that's coming out on July 26th in comic shops, Wolves, The Meyer, and Demeter. And they came out a year apart, I believe, 2011, 2012, 2013. That's correct. And then they were collected, I think, as a hardcover after the last one a year later. Mm -hmm. This soft cover, there's been some changes made to it, some additions uh, for this soft cover, and you can tell me if these were part of the hardcover or not, but I did see that you did some beautiful end paper art. Yeah, that's new. And uh, you've also edited a few of the stories, adding pages, uh, clarifying the ending of one of the stories. Uh, a little bit of tweaking here and there, I guess now that you had a chance to step back and look at them again. Um, was there a reason why you decided to make a few of those addition and changes besides just the passage of time and having a chance to step back and look at them? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're going back to stories like this, especially ones that are so personal, the temptation to go in and make it perfect, you know, <laughs> is, you know, very real. But it doesn't really serve any purpose because the story's already done. It was just a matter of like, you know, you really have to be very careful about what you decide to choose if you decide to go that route and change anything. Yeah, you don't want to overwork something. You know? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think just the clarification and changing a few words around and a few panels was just from going back and looking at the original mini comics and everything, like not, you know, feeling like it could be a little bit better. And like just first for the sake of storytelling and for the sake of like our, what our readers going to really get out of this. Because there's so many drawings in here I would just redraw you know, somebody's hand isn't quite right or their nose looks a little wonky. And I just, I don't think that really helps the story. I think that's just, you know, going down a rabbit hole that no one should really open that door. Oh, yeah. So you've done a little remastering. Right. But you haven't gone crazy and like redrew things. and you know. Exactly. Okay. It's just a little little tinkering here and there, just fine tuning. You did have it relettered by Rachel Deering? Yep. She relettered the whole thing. And that kind of just, you know, when I first did the lettering, it was in Photoshop and it was fine for the mini comics because it was just black and white and you didn't really, it wasn't great. I'm not a professional letterer, <laughs> but Rachel's amazing. And she has such nuance. She was able to, you know, go in and kind of look at what I did and basically follow that, but add a lot of little nuance to it. You know, it's, She's got a light touch with it. She did a great job. And you've added color, Lee mm -hmm. Lowridge. Now, Lee Lowridge doing the coloring, he's on Southern Cross also? He is, yeah. That's the reason why I reached out with him uh, or to him. He uh, he colors Andy's work so well. And, you know, when I was thinking about what kind of colors I'd want on it, it it's easy to go out to Lee because, you know, we have a good rapport anyway. Um but I felt like that's exactly the kind of colors I wanted on this book. Something because the art's already done. It doesn't really need anything else. But the colors would just, you know, stand to enhance it. So I didn't want someone who was going to come in and, like, you know, have to add to it. And Lee's perfect for that because he just sets the mood 
you know, without, I don't know, it's like, it's effortless is the only thing that's like the best way I can describe looking at these pages. Cause I've, I've seen them only in black and white from the, you know, the way the first time that I thought of them to the, you know, how I drew them, it's always been a black and white story. And now that it's in color, it doesn't, it's not jarring to me. And I think that's a good, a good sign. Like it just feels so natural. Oh, not at all. It looks great, especially like the the woods and the outdoors. It's just it's beautiful. And if someone oh, yeah. has if someone's bought that hardcover and it's in black and white, you really owe it to yourself to check out this next edition. It really enhanced the story and the mood. But it's not just like slapped on there. Uh, yeah. Becky Becky knows what she's doing. She knows what she's working with here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've also added in um, a sketchbook and illustrations as well. Yeah, there, there's a sketch in the original hardcover. There's a sketch section in the original hardcover mm-hmm. that I did. But this one is, um, it was nice because I did it in color. So I was able to add a bunch of illustrations and old cover work. And it just, I, I feel like it was just a little more complete. Because I feel like I've been living in this world with these characters for so long. I have just sketchbooks filled with pictures of them and <laughs> so many illustrations that are done like, you know, if not of the characters, then in that same world. So there's a lot, a lot of material. And it was nice to be able to kind of pull that all together because I think it adds a little bit to the stories. Oh, it does. It's a really nice collection added to it. And supporting the book, you also have a release of prints and some enamel pins. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen some online. So um, how can people get some of those other than your appearances? Um, yeah. So, uh, well, I'm going to be releasing the, the prints at... Uh, and the print is uh, burlesque did it, and they're out of Minneapolis, and they, it's the print of the cover, and it just looks it's gorgeous. It's a silkscreen limited edition, um, and we'll be releasing them at Austin Books and Comics on the 26th for my signing there, and then on August 4th, which I believe is a Friday, I'm going to be putting the remainder of them up on uh, FlatfileATX.com. As my distributors, and they'll have them all up online. So this um, expanded and remastered edition contains very personal and emotional stories for you, especially Demeter. And you know, fully respecting your privacy and sensitivity to you know, <laughs> recalling personal experiences and events that might evoke certain feelings. Are you comfortable sharing any um, of the reasons why Demeter is so personal for you? Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because it's. I feel like these stories, and a lot of the stories I write anyway, become weirdly autobiographical. Um, if not directly about my life, but about, you know, people that I know or stories that I've heard or something like that. Uh, but these stories are all, you know, without being an autobiography, I think, I don't think I'm, it's the same reason why I'm not super comfortable, like with people taking pictures of me (laughs) at conventions when I'm, you know, that time when I'm in cosplay, I just, it's easier for me to tell a personal story while not about me, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes sense. It is is somewhat cathartic for you, too, to do that. Yeah. And this, I mean, it's a story about, well, without going too much into spoilers, you know, for people who haven't read it, um, the the main character, her name's Anna, and her husband, his name's Colin, she, you know, he died at sea in a shipwreck. And she makes a deal with, like, ancient sea gods or whatever to call him back to life and the deal is that she only gets seven months with him and she she knows it's going to end and she's trying to do everything she can to stop that from ending and I think it's about knowing 
uh, that something's going to happen and not being able to stop it. And that's the, it, the inevitability. But at the same time, at the end, it's also about, do you have the right to stop something that's going to happen anyway? You know, cause it was really selfish of her, you know, and at the end from Colin's perspective, when you see it, he's, you know, now put in this position where he's been called back to life and now has to return to the sea, um, at the end of the book. And he doesn't want to go because he's, you know, has this new memory of life and love and it's not fair to him. So I think that's the big thing is not, you know, you ask for too much and she, she was just selfish, I think. And I don't want to say that I was her or I don't want to say that I was him, but it's just, it's nothing like that. You know, it's just like one of those things where you just, uh, I think everyone's put in that position at some point in their life, trying to stop the inevitable, but then realizing that you're just doing more harm than good by trying to like hold on to something that should never be held on to. That makes a lot of sense. I understand there are possibly more stories involving the characters and by chance or providence that you may write about at some point undetermined point, oh, yeah. uh, the story i just the... need the time yeah well again you wrote these in between other works so it took several years to get these done yeah oh. i'm not i'm not as young as i used to be either. This is, <laughs> i don't have the energy <laughs> you need rest you need sleep i know i need free time is what i need <laughs> yeah well yes you do need some downtime that's your time that's not connected in any way to what you're working on something that's just a nice diversion and fun to kind of escape from everything people we need that we need that as, oh as yeah humans. that's important i need that on my weekends like i'll be working on stuff but i just need that quiet time <laughs> good luck yeah yeah everyone has to turn their brain off every night absolutely like just to read something for fun or do something for fun that i you know just to kind of break the pattern of the same pattern every week like i'm gonna go to work this day i'm gonna do laundry this day i'm gonna cut the lawn this day you know you need to kind of yeah. break, break that <laughs> Yeah, and there's something to be said about routine, but at the same time. <laughs> yes, there's comfort in the routine, there's uh, predictability, but at the same time, you got to break it up, otherwise you feel like you're on a merry-go-round or a treadmill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, the story of uh, wolves, at some point, we hope that you're going to be able to get to uh, further elaborating on the king and the queen that's in that story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was actually telling a friend of mine this week about it. And just kind of explain the whole story. <laughs> a little a little overwhelming, but now I'm all like <laughs> after going back and like redoing this and kind of opening, you know, this I don't want to compare it to a wound, but it's, it kind of feels like that. You're just I was like, oh, my goodness, I have so many feelings about these characters still. And just there's and it's not just the king and the queen story from Wolves, but I've got like three or four other stories within this like universe that I, I just want to do. Ooh. So, so, uh, so those will be one-offs at some point, and at then some may point. maybe we'll see a volume two collected at some point. Yeah, yeah, or just maybe I'll just do in, like a giant omnibus yes, or something. Yes, the massive that you have to sit down with because it's too heavy to, to hold. Yeah, I'd love to go back and self-publish more too. Um, and then with the guys at Flatfile the, who distribute all my prints and everything, it's great because they're local. So they've mentioned if I ever want to do a mini comic or anything, if I can get it printed, they can just store it and ship them for me. So oh, nice. I, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the perfect storm right now for mini comics. <laughs> well, that's great because that gives you a little outlet to do your own little project on the side, you know? Yeah. And Image has been great too. I mean, they've, they've always said that if, you know, whatever projects I have, the door is always open there. So Now you're a, a big fan of tales involving curses and werewolves and hey, so am I. Um, yes. Oh man, werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to name some films 
that, uh, that I've seen. I hope you've seen them too. And if you have uh, some thoughts about them, since these are all werewolf films, and the earliest one that I have seen was uh, Werewolf of London. That's a 1935 film with Henry Hall. I didn't see it when it came out, by the way. <laughs> just, just one. But I have seen it like on television and things like that. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen that one? I haven't, actually. Okay. My understanding from what I've read about it and, and heard about it is that the actor wasn't comfortable with the heavy werewolf makeup. So they kind of scaled back on the way it looked. It kind of looked like the Lon Chaney werewolf, but he's like, I'm not comfortable with all this. So they pulled yeah. back. So more of his face shows. That also might be a bit of a vanity thing. Like the actor wants to show their face, but uh, there was um, a flower that bloomed in the Himalayas that could cure him of the curse. And that's where he and another individual are fighting to get this flower so that he can be cured. The other guy could be cured of the curse. Uh, but it's really kind of neat because it's set in the 30s. So you see all that kind of neat Art Deco design and apparatus and machines. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm going to check that out because the first, I mean, the oldest world movies I've seen is just the, the Lon Chaney Jr. Yes. Wolfman. Is the, yes. That's the oldest world movie that I think I've seen. 1940. Lon Ch yeah, that one, I saw that and I was really, I had, of course, heard a lot about it and it's all over media magazines and everything and people are very familiar with it. But when I watched it for the first time, I was amazed at Lon Chaney's transformation uh, not physically, but as a character going from this happy-go-lucky, basically a wolf man, you know, chasing yeah. the ladies to just this down-on-the-luck, cursed, tragic figure. It's just his whole demeanor changed. It was because I'd never seen him playing someone upbeat and happy and cheerful because I've always seen him in some role as the werewolf in subsequent Universal Horror films. So that was – it was great to see him first as that yeah, and then change. And I love the classic, like, curse of the werewolf, you know, it's, it's different ways that people can become a werewolf, and I'm just a fan of the old-fashioned curse, so. Oh, yeah. A, a good one is um, Curse of the Werewolf by yeah. name. That's Oliver <laughs> Reed, the Hammer Horror film, because I like those. That's the first, like, I guess, true color one of a werewolf. Yeah. And um, I've seen some of Oliver Reed's films, The Three Musketeers that he was in. But that one was really good because it was just, again, tragic. And it's, it's gothic horror. So the pace is a lot slower than you know, just getting right to the monster. You know, things build up very slow, and you really don't see much of the werewolf in full view until towards the end of the film. And that, and this was, I guess the werewolf was set in Spain. It was like a Spanish. Yeah, it was yeah. a Spanish, like the Spanish countryside or whatever. Yeah, that one, but that was a really intense uh, werewolf yeah. makeup. And the love, <laughs> the love story in that was really tragic, yes. too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think that's one of the best uh, gothic horror type romance tied in films. And that's classic Hammer, too. Oh, yeah. I love the Hammer mm -hmm. stuff, especially yeah, the, the earlier films. Big fan of those. Huge. Like, you know, the, the Curse of uh, Frankenstein, the Horror of Dracula, all that stuff. The Mummy. Yeah. Oh, The Mummy. That's oh, still super tragic, beautiful. That's going to be my next thing is mummies. After Werewolves, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I enjoy all those. I haven't seen the one that came out recently, the Tom Cruise one, the the reboot of. Oh, I haven't seen that either. I don't really care too. And, I, and I've, I, yeah, I've heard a lot, like a lot of things, like oh, it's not that good. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have to see it at some point. I just haven't run out to the theater. I, I figure I'll probably just like you know Netflix it or something at some point. Yeah. Because um, I actually I did like the the Brandon Fraser one. I loved them. I thought they were great. They were so much fun. I really liked them. My wife's like, I did. I didn't like it at all. I'm like, are you sure we saw the same film? Because the first one, <laughs> the first one made my skin crawl with the scarab beetles. Yeah. 
And it was fun, too. Brendan oh, Fraser yeah. is so charming. I just, you know, that's another one. All the characters have Absolutely. such good, like, chemistry with each other. They just bounce back and forth. And I don't know. There's charm. There's charisma. Uh, there's action. Mm-hmm. And it, it was never slow. And I really thought that that was going to be the beginning of the reboot of the Universal Horror Films. And it wasn't. Yeah. And I, that would have been the perfect starting point. And I, I don't know about you, but I always like it when they take these horror films, these classic horror characters, be it werewolves or uh, Frankenstein, and they set it in the past. Because, yeah. you know, today <laughs> it's pretty easy to eradicate something um, you know, with heavy artillery yeah. or something. So it's like, oh, come on, you know. But uh, set back then, it, to me, it just fits better in the environment. Yeah. And I, you know, some of these movies too, they just go so over the top when, you know, like you're saying, like breaking in the big guns and the military and like, these are stories about curses and monsters. And I feel like it's, they lose, there's something personal about it that gets lost when you start doing this like destruction porn, Yeah, you know, like it's just, yeah, it's a personal tragedy and you feel for the quote monster in the film, like even Frankenstein's monster, you see the first one that was done. You feel so bad when this yeah. creature's resurrected and it's reaching. This is a great scene in the film, the first Frankenstein, when he's reaching for the light up in the ceiling. He's like trying to grasp it with his hands when he sees light for the first time. When he's yeah. reanimated, it's like, oh, it's so sad. So you realize who the monster really is. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, a few years ago, they, I guess it's more than a few years ago by now, they did, um, there was a a play and I think it was in London and they had Johnny Lee Miller and, and Benedict Cumberbatch and they were playing Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. And like every other oh. night they would switch. Oh, cool. And, I, and they did a screening of it in New York where they showed it, like they projected it on screen when it was happening in yeah. London. And I was able to see that and it was, you know, it may not be the same thing as seeing the play. Like, but it was, it was really cool to see, and it was Benedict Cumberbatch was the the Doctor Frankenstein in okay. the one that I saw, and Johnny Lee Miller had such a sympathetic Frankenstein, you know, like the Frankenstein's monster, just really, and and you could see like it was just so interesting to see that dynamic, and then I can imagine I'm curious to see, I wish I would have seen how it was the other way, but well, it's kind of a cool. That is really cool. Um, oh, one other werewolf film that I did see in the theater uh, is pretty old, but was an American werewolf in London. Ooh, that's classic. That was just a weird film. It's like with the beats with the music. And there were a couple of scenes that I nearly jumped out of my skin. And you probably oh, yeah. know which ones I mean, where there's like a, a cut scene and it's like, whoa. And that was David Naughton was in that. Really? Yeah. And I remember he, he also did a song, I think like he had a single out in the seventies making it or something, some kind of disco song. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm always associated I, that's with that. I haven't heard. Yeah. Well, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. American Werewolf in London has one of the best endings to a werewolf movie, I think, ever. And it's so it's so yeah. jarring and then it just ends and you're like <gasps> And then the music is like is is jarring because yeah. it doesn't fit at all what just happened. It's like what 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 was that? You know, you're just kind of sitting there stunned. So Yeah. And uh, and that is again like where they use makeup mostly for the transformation, not CGI. It was, I think, Rick Baker who did the makeup job on that, um, who's classic, uh, one of the best makeup artists out there. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like, again, that's that tangible part of it where you you feel like the characters are in the environment, everything's solid, you can touch it, it's not a bunch of CGI. So those films, to me, are more interesting because they're using actual props on the set yeah. and makeup. It takes a lot more work. 
Mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite werewolf transformations and favorite werewolf moves in general is, is it, the, uh, the company of wolves. Um, and it's a bunch of short, it's kind of, it's, it's one big movie and it kind of has an overarching uh, story, but it's a lot of little vignettes about different werewolf stories. And it all kind of revolves around this one girl whose grandmother is like telling her like cautionary tales but there's a character who transforms into a werewolf and the wolf like comes out of his mouth, you know, and it's oh. so weird and creepy and just, it's incredible. But this, I think as far as like my perfect werewolf story, it's probably the company of wolves just in that, you know, weird, I don't know. And it's, you have, of course it's very like period piece as well. So that works. Well, <laughs> that that's when I'll me. have to, ch- I haven't seen that. So that's when I'll have to check Definitely out. Definitely check this these. out. And Angela Lansbury is in it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's so good. And it's really weird, too. It feels like an old, like, Kate Bush video or something. That's, like, how <laughs> you feel when you're watching it. It's just, like, yeah, it's just bizarre, you know? But it has this, like, dreamlike, ethereal kind of quality. And if you're a werewolf fan and you like period pieces, this might be something you'd enjoy. Another show with a werewolf and with Frankenstein, which one of my favorites, and I... I probably think you would have watched this would have been penny dreadful when it came out oh yeah you know i started watching that and it just it felt so much like a medley that i think after season one i just kind of stopped because mm-hmm. i was like i just want it to be one thing i don't want all the things at once i don't want it to feel like i don't know it's, it's too much it was too much for me <laughs> i was like there's too many things <laughs> sure no it really picked up a season two and three, yeah. it really got. In fact, I talked to uh, Chris King, the executive co-producer, about it on this show. We discussed because he has a, a comic book that comes out from Titan, continuing the story. Oh, cool! Pen- yeah, so there's actually new stories about continuing the whole Penny Dreadful series coming out monthly, which is cool. So, um, oh, that's cool. It was cool to talk to him about that because I love the Frankenstein in that particular series. At first, I, I couldn't stand him, and then yeah. he became this really sympathetic, tragic character again. And there's some of the best television I've ever seen has been on that uh, picture show. So maybe I have to go back and like recheck that out because I like all the actors and you know, they, I felt like when I was watching it, this is something that I should like, but for some reason it wasn't hooking me. And I just thought it was because there was too many different things thrown together. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't feel like it, you know, like it hit home on any of them. Did you get all the way through it? Like all three seasons or just the first? Season? No, just the first season. Ah. And I don't even, you know, I don't know if I finished it. I might've stopped okay. somewhere in the middle. Just, okay. It was, it's one of those things. There's only so many hours in a day. I, oh, I understand completely. <laughs> and I just wasn't feeling no, I, it. I hear you. Look, it took me years to get to Game of Thrones. There's one episode. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm drawing a blank on it, on the name of it. But, um, I think it was season two or three where, um, one of the characters is in a, um, a padded cell and the whole episode basically takes place between two characters. Uh, the, the Frankenstein character before he was Frankenstein and the main character. Um, so that is one that I think was one of the best, uh, episodes I've seen on television ever acting wise. Uh, so that one, I'll, I'll have to get the name. I'll get the name and just like send it to you and say, Hey, this is the episode. I'm sorry. I'm blanking right now, but it's well worth seeing. Um, it was very good. Very good. Uh, speaking of horror, I do want to read a book that you worked on. Again, this goes back a ways, but you know, do my research. I'm like, Oh, there was an adaptation of Stoker's Dracula. Oh yeah. Gary Reed and I worked on a comic book adaptation. This is one of the first, I think it was maybe the second book I ever worked on. Okay. And so it's not very good from my end. 
Well, I understand how you feel. I mean, I, it, I'll probably be amazed by it, but I know how it is when you look at your own work. You're like, oh, man, that's, I've come so far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is still, you know, because I, I was looking through some old copies, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was like, there's a few things in there that I did okay. But for the most part, it's very, you know, I was just, I hadn't even finished college, and I was just, like, I felt like maybe it was a bit too ambitious to try and adapt that book. Because, you know, also, like, even from, like, Gary adapting it, he's such a, you know, he knows the source material inside and out. He was actually great to work with. Um, but I just felt like it's it's not a kind of book that you can adapt. Even working on it, I was like, this is just going by too fast. Like, you can't, there's no nuance. It was kind of like the Cliff Notes version of Dracula. Oh, I see. Okay. Do you know? Yep. Um, but a few years later, I ended up illustrating Dracula for HarperCollins. So I feel like Dracula is just like the most consistent man in my life or something. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite Dracula from film? Ooh, um, I don't know. That's really difficult. I'm a big fan of Christopher Lee. Yes. For sure. Um, I like the classic. Uh, Gary Oldman, I also really liked, although that movie, you know, has its ups and downs. <laughs> Bela Lugosi in the original one was, that of course broke the mold, and he had done that on stage before he had done it on film. And that, I found out that that film came out on Valentine's Day and was supposed to be more of a romance story than a horror story. But it's still a classic, and I've seen it remastered, and it looks great. Um, and of course, Christopher Lee, oh my god, I mean, Horror of Dracula, which was called Dracula over in England, but so it wasn't confused here with Bologosi's in the U.S. They call it Horror of Dracula. He's fantastic in that film. Oh, his, and his voice is so arresting. Um, and I, well, that's something about Bela Lugosi too, is he had that accent, yes. and it just kind of like, okay, this is how Bela Lugosi like cemented Dracula. He's like, it's like this is you. He made that character. And for Dracula is forever going to be kind of in that mold of Bela Lugosi. He only played the character twice. The second time was one of my favorite films, and one of my son's favorite films is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And, yeah. And the reason why that works so well, it's it's one of their funniest films I've ever seen that they have done. Nothing comes close. But they all the characters that are, are monsters, the Dracula, the Wolfman, they're all taken very seriously. They don't make fun of them. They're not like a spoof of themselves, which is why I mean, the ghost is even better. That's why I enjoy that film so much. And I watch it a zillion times. That's one of you my, know, I'm going to, I'm going to rewatch that. Cause I haven't seen that. I think since I was maybe in high school. Oh, it's so been it's a long so time. Good. There's a lot of fast humor and it's not a long film compared to films today. So, uh, yeah, I like it a lot. I, I videotaped it off the TV when it was on television way back, and then I bought the DVD, and then I bought the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. But it is really good because you've got the Wolfman. You've got Lon Chaney Jr. You've got Glenn Strange playing Frankenstein, and you've got Bela Lugosi playing Dracula. One that was really uh, bizarre, and I meant to, I had this on my bucket list to watch for a long time, was uh, Dracula versus Billy the Kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. Yeah, John Carradine plays Dracula, and he played Dracula in like the House of Frankenstein and the House of Dracula when Lugosi wasn't playing the character anymore. And you know, it's kind of a strange Dracula with a top hat. But that film, uh, the 1965 one versus Billy the Kid, was kind of interesting—a low-budget, you know, B film. But uh, it was good. I I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun, just to kind of and some look of the, that up now. Yeah, it's. I think it's a Netflix thing. It's. It's not a very long film either. It might be like an hour and fifteen minutes. I wanted to just talk to you a bit, getting back to comics, about some of your earlier works. And so this is the first time we've actually had a chance to talk. Um, you worked with Brian Wood on Conan, 
-hmm. and it was the first three issues, Queen of the Black Coast, and that was very captivating. That was different from what the Conan that I had read in the past, you know, with the, the big muscly Conan, but it was, there was that heavy romance element to it, of course. Um, oh, and yeah. it, it was great. Um, was that your first stab at Conan? It was actually. And it was, um, it's kind of fun because it was Queen of the Black Coast is probably my favorite Conan story. So to be able to like adapt that from the beginning and like kind of cement the look of the characters was really cool. Uh, yeah, and it's just such a tragic, again, tragic romance. <laughs> and I think this was, you know, when we were thinking, you know, you said he's not as muscly as before. I'm trying to go off the, uh, you know, Robert E. Howard always described him as being panther-like and mm -hmm. like a big cat, you know, and he was never, Conan's always like a big dude, but there's oftentimes characters that are way bigger than him that he has to fight. So the idea is that he's like a large man, but he's not the biggest guy in the room. Yeah, he's not a bodybuilder. Yeah, exactly. And he's got a lot of charisma. He's the type of guy that women just fall all over and guys want to hang out with him and be his friend. And, you know, he's like just, uh, I don't know, he's, he just seems like a fun dude to party with. And Queen of the Black Coast was kind of his first real and like for, and kind of his only love, I think. By the end of it, it's super sad. You know, Belit, the pirate queen, she's got that weird crystal thing that she's after and that like winged monkey thing, you know. Do you remember that from the book? The winged monkey thing. <laughs> the weird, uh, the weird like bat demon monkey creature that she has to fight, or that they have to fight at the end, and she she ends up turning evil from the power of that okay, jewel yeah. that she's after. Yeah. And uh, they, you know, he has to kill her. So it's just super tragic, and it's kind of like everything I love in in a story, just tragic and romance. <laughs> now I haven't read this other one, um, and I want to seek this out. Northlanders, you'd work on a couple of issues. 35 and 36, The Girl on the Ice. And that, I guess that's probably another tragic romantic story. I definitely want to check that one out too. It's not as much romantic, but it is very tragic. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, this old man fisherman who just finds a girl's body in the ice and then has to do a little like, you know, SVU on her, just trying to figure out like who was this girl and what happened to her. And, you know, at the end, it's the same thing. It's just tragedy strikes, but it's very real, I think. You know, it's not a perfect ending, but it's the it's the real ending that you kind of want. Oh, well, that sounds great. I definitely want to check that out. And yeah, I guess Brian was somewhat instrumental in helping you get your start working for bigger publishers in comics. Yeah, well, working with publishers in general, like he was the first writer to look at my work and like see something in it that he wanted to work with. He, and so we did this, a book called Jenny One together, which was a sequel to Channel Zero or a prequel, sequel prequel, and. Then we did a book called Demo together, and that was 12 issues long. And I was still, I mean, this was like 2000, 2001. So I was just, you know, fresh. I was a fresh college dropout <laughs> living in New York. I was working at like Starbucks or something. And uh, yeah, and, and that's my nights were spent drawing comics. What's it like working with Brian when you have, and what made you two click as collaborators? You know, we, um, I'd never worked with a writer before and, you know, I hadn't really worked with anybody before, I guess. Uh, so I was a little nervous, but when Brian writes, it's his stories are easy for me to like look at and read. Like I, I can take one of his pages as a script and just see it in my head as how I would lay it out, like almost, almost all the time. So I think part of it is um, that kind of, 
creative rapport we have. And also he's, you know, when he started making comics, he was drawing and writing as well. And I think his early drawings and his work, he saw something of that in my work. So I think he was able to like, just, uh, you know, coming as an artist, uh, he was able to write for me in a way that I could understand. You know, we kind of just left each other alone to do our own things. You know, if I would say like, hey, Brian, I'm going to add like a panel here. I think this should be two pages maybe. Or like, he was like, okay, cool, whatever, you know. And in the end, if there's any problems, if he's like, hey, this, maybe these, this sequence isn't working, maybe try this, you know, it would always be like, okay, cool. You know, there's not really any ego involved. And it was always smooth sailing. So. Yeah. I like a lot of his work. I, it's in my pile of books quite a bit. Like he has the Rebels um oh yeah now, so, great. yeah i just I, I love those just they you don't see books like that out very often <laughs> yeah he does like historical books really yes, well too yes i guess that's why they appeal to me <laughs> yeah he does them in a way where they don't ever feel like stuffy you know where he's not trying to tell you a lesson or a history lesson or yeah um but and they and they feel modern but not in the way where it's like you could see it with like a modern soundtrack, you know, like it's, it doesn't feel out of place. Oh no. It's very much getting into the character yeah, and their mindset and how they feel about something. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very personal. It's not a, like you said, not a history lesson at all. That's just, that's just the environment they're in. That's just the setting. Yeah. So that's great. He's, he's a very, very good writer. I was lucky to work. That's probably, you know, when I switched to writing, I was really lucky. I was able to work with him and so many other amazing writers well, you're working with some others now, too, and you have some other books coming up. Uh, you have Southern Cross Volume 2 coming out, I believe, mm -hmm. on the 19th of July. Yeah, that's yeah. next week. Wow. It's a lot, of, lot right. of books. And you have Gotham Academy second semester coming up as well as a collection? Yeah. I think that either came out this week or it's coming out next week. It's, okay. it's this month also. It's Gotham Academy second semester Volume 1. Wow. It's a big month for yeah. you. It's a big month. Yeah, this is all so many books. <laughs> uh, I have a few questions for you. I ask all my guests. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just fun questions, not tough ones. Uh, and we talked a bit about this. When you want to relax and get away, what do you do for rest and relaxation? Um, well, I'm, I just moved to Austin, Texas, like a year and a half ago. Almost two years, coming up on two years. And there's a lot of amazing... Uh, places to go see live music here. So, you know, I'll go out and do that. I've got a little garden now in the back. So, I've, you know, I've got some plants going, go out and get bitten up by mosquitoes. So that's <laughs> kind of fun. Um, it's nice. You know, I've got a lot of, a lot of good friends here. So when we want to have, like last night, some of my friends went and played Final Fantasy 12. <laughs> I just okay. went over to their house and like drew on their couch and watch them, watch them play Final <laughs> Fantasy. So it's stuff like that. It's pretty low key, you know, go out and see a movie now and then and just try and hang out with friends. My sister lives here. So we go to the oh, gym okay. sometimes. I'll go get coffee and bitch about, you know, life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, there's actually, there's a Kung Fu school that I've been like eyeing. Oh, so I can maybe get back into that. I lived in Richmond for a few years, and I did Wing Chun. You did, and, yeah, good and it was you. so good uh, that I kind of want to get back into it. But it's just—it's that thing where you just have to find the time to just sit down. But oh, I last know. week, last week I was like, you know, stalking one of the websites. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> when are when are their classes offered, and how how would I fit this in? So, how long did you do uh, Wing Chun? Two years, about. Oh. Year and a half, maybe. Yeah, I lived in Richmond, Virginia, and some friends of mine did it. 
and it was a small class because it wasn't um, my sifu wasn't you know teaching at a school but he had taught before so he just wanted to keep his skills up so there was like five of us that he would we would get together like twice a week and he'd teach us to kind of keep his skills up and I felt and it felt great because not only would you're you're getting in shape mm-hmm. but you're not it's not just like doing an elliptical or something you're just it's oh, all no. your whole body and you're you know, physically trying to do, you know, different things. Uh, and like you're learning at the same time. So you feel capable of definitely, you know, feel better about myself knowing a little bit of like how to defend yourself, even if it's just like in, in practice, you know, there's something, there's like a confidence that comes with that and that feels good. So that's why I was just like, you know, maybe this is, maybe it's time, time to start learning again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since you have some skills, here's a scenario for you. You're stuck on a deserted island. So you probably don't need to use your Wing Chun, but you're stuck on this island. There's no power, and um, you just have one book or a set of related books, like they're part of a collection. What would that one book or collection be? Oh, hmm. Like like a whole collection of books, like a yeah, series? If they were related, let's or say like... it's like the, uh, the Hobbit books, you know, or something. You could have all of those. That's a lot of walking. There's a lot of walking in these books. Um, hmm. Well, I'm I'm going through and I'm reading the Witcher series right now, so I'd probably bring those just because I'm not done with them yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like uh, I feel like they're they're kind of fun because it's a lot of short stories in in like one bigger story, so it's kind of easy to like nip in and out of. And yes, again, I'm not. I'm not done with all of them, so okay. that would be the one, just because I'd need to know how it ends. And the final question, what is your beverage of choice when you're relaxing? Uh, coffee, maybe, or wine. Okay. <laughs> just depends on the time of day, I suppose. Is it before, like, 3 oh, o'clock, or is it, it after 3 o'clock? It could, it could be either. <laughs> I know some people love coffee any time of day. Um, you know, you like coffee in the morning, as I do. And for wine, do you have a particular kind you like? Are you red wine, white wine, cabernet? Red wine... And I also feel like you can never go wrong with a Bordeaux. If you're going to get a red wine, that's the one. The only thing about red wine, that is the downside, is if you spill it on your carpet. Oh, yeah. That's kind of a drag. Yeah, that's, I don't have um, – <laughs> well, I have carpet only in one room in my house right now. So. Oh, then you don't have a problem then. It's then great. I don't have to worry. I just don't drink it. I just don't drink it in that one room. Yes. <laughs> There's already like – I just got a new desk because I just moved into this new place. There's already like red wine and coffee rings on my desk. (laughs) I mean, and I use coasters. It's just like, what is happening here? (laughs) Do you have any convention appearances coming up that you want to share with everyone? Um, I will be, uh, like I said, at Austin Books and Comics on July 26th. So if you're in the Texas area, come down and say hi. I'll be there from 4 to 7 p.m. And I'll be at MondoCon as well, which is in November in Austin as well. And I will be at Thought Bubble, which is in Leeds in the UK in September. Oh, nice. Yeah. I do Thought Bubble every year. And same with MondoCon. So, it's, you know, these are kind of like the two staples. How can fans reach out to you and follow you? I'm at Becky Clunin on almost everything. Uh, if you're on Instagram, actually not almost everything. I would just say Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I've got an email form on my website. And I'm notoriously bad at emails. No, um, come on. <laughs> no, it's it's very true. It's very true. 
there's a lot you got to deal with. You got a lot yeah, of emails lot coming of in, emails. publishers and other creators. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I'm sure it's overwhelming. I keep saying I need like a personal assistant here, or like a cabana boy or something. Like <laughs> just to go through and kind of answer yes, no to like some of the emails that I get. It's a lot. It's a lot of volume. Anybody who has to deal with email, like even at work, you know, it's like you get tons of emails. I have to have folders set up to sort them and flag them oh, yeah. to follow up. Otherwise, I can't work from an inbox that's full. Yeah. Has, oh my goodness. It's got a place it has to go. And my, my desktop, my physical desktop is, has like little piles and neat things set up. I mean, I'm just like a neat freak. And then my email is the same thing. It can't all just be like thrown in there. Some people just like work from an inbox. I'm like, how do you do that? How could you find anything? I don't know. It's so frustrating. It's like, or like I work from chaos. So like my desk is just, when I clean it, I don't know where anything is. That's the problem. Well, that's a creative thing. I mean, I like graphic artists I work with, uh, my day job, it's like, they, they don't have like the neatest desk, but they are very good at what they do. And they, they know where everything is. It's just, that's just their arrangement. So yeah, it drives know. me crazy though. Like, sometimes <laughs> I wish my boyfriend is very neat and I've kind of learned a lot from him. Um, but, you know, there's only so much I can do for my own space. <laughs> uh, I try. I try my best. <laughs> the intent is there. You try. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Uh, and good luck with the book. And I'm looking forward to seeing it come out. Uh, that is By Chance or Providence coming out on July 26th. And then the following week after that in bookstores everywhere. Yeah. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. And that's my interview with Becky Clunan. Please check out her By Chance or Providence. And again, that's coming out through Image Comics on July 26th. Now, as of this episode, there have been a couple of changes to the production of the show. That should be, for the most part, very transparent to you. The first 50 episodes of the show were hosted on SoundCloud, and they are there right now and will be through the end of the month. I have moved over to Podbean. So if you've been listening to the show exclusively using SoundCloud, you want to download and save any episodes you'd like to keep by July 31st. From now on, it'll be through Podbean, but as always, the show is available through other platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and starting with this episode number 51, YouTube. And all the episodes I've recorded to date will still be there on iTunes, Google Play, and they've all been moved over to Podbean, so they're not going away. I'm just changing the platform, just so you know. Uh, it's going to be better for the show, better for me in terms of scheduling episodes, and as I said, also posting them on YouTube for those of you who prefer to use that platform to listen to music and podcasts. The regular release date for the show will be on Thursdays every week. Occasionally I'll have two, but for the most part, Thursday is the day of new episodes. And I'll be announcing who'll be on the show in advance through social media. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter or both at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. And also you can reach out to me through my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. Also, there is a playlist on the site where you can listen to and download any of the episodes I've recorded to date. Also, if you want to write me a longer message, you can send me an email through the website, creatortalks.com. I'll also have written interviews on the site coming up and also book recommendations. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>